welcome to It's Just Historical, a podcast that celebrates today's historical fiction. I'm your host, Suzanne Dunlap, author of nine, soon to be ten, historical novels for adults and teens. Join me and my guest for the next half hour while we talk historical fiction. Writing it, reading it, publishing it, and more with tips about process, pet peeves, and preferences. My guest today is Stephanie Cowell, author of Marrying Mozart and Claude and Camille, and a dear friend. Tell, tell me a little bit about, you've had a, a very interesting journey starting years ago with, with some novels that took place in Shakespeare's time. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, golly, yes. Well, um, that was my, my first great, well, it was one of my really great loves. And I originally started when I, when I left classical singing and I, I had to get a, a day job to support my, my two kids and myself. I, I, I was writing, sort of do write, again, very, very passionately. I'd written as a, as a teenager. And I wrote um, four books in seven years, and, and one of them was Elizabethan. And of all the, of the four books, that's the one that, that kept uh, almost getting sold. And it, it was a, about a boy who grew up in the time of Shakespeare, and with Shakespeare uh, in, as an actor. And subsequently, did you become a doctor and studied science of 1600? And so my four books sort of went neck and neck for a while. And then the two contemporary books were getting much less attention. I just wrote very fast. Like you then, I wrote very fast. <laughs> you write very fast. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, and so eventually, eventually it was uh, Nicholas Cook, which was my Elizabethan book, which was, was taken by W.W. W. Norton, which was the most amazing, wonderful, exciting fairy tale experience, you know, with many, many little fairy tales. It was, you know, just a fairy tale for me, really. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, and how long ago was that? Oh, that ages, was, ages ago. Um, in a different time, really, you in, know, when uh, publishing yeah, was different. Yeah. In publishing, I got a chance to be in the really old type of publishing, which most people have not had that chance. Norton was a sleepy little, wasn't little, it was very respected. It still is. A uh, sleepy house, and they, if, if an editor shook you, you know, she generally kept you on. Until as you slowly built your name in the in the old way of of doing things, which was really quite a miracle. They didn't they didn't give very big advances, but they did a beautiful job publishing, editing, proofreading, and then unfortunately, my my editor, I think it was ninety seven or ninety eight, decided to leave uh, and make a new life for herself in Australia. And I was really, I mean, she would have, as she said, I would have just gone on publishing you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So my life took an absolute turn then. And uh, I had written the first two books of a trilogy, Nicholas Cook and the Physician of London. I still get letters from people all the time wanting the third book, but I, I wasn't really equipped to write the third book. I felt very deserted. I felt very um, unmoored after seven years of trying to get into publishing, and I finally got this thing, and then I was, I was just sort of at the end of my energy. I had my kids. I had my day job. And so I really couldn't do a very good job on it. And they decided to, to um, not publish me, which was a huge thing for me. It still remains two-thirds written in that computer. Oh, uh, really, very, yeah. very good. Actually, it's quite, quite good now. It's so much more difficult in publishing now. I haven't, I haven't really thought where I'm going to approach a small, very good literary publisher to publish it with the, republish the first two. Long yeah. story, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. It's, it's fine. It's, 
question of getting published is a big one that a lot of people <coughs> talk about, yeah. especially in historical fiction, which is which has its you know has its ups and downs and. And I remember when I was first published, Crown was publishing lots of really big books, you know, and and that that seemed like historical fiction was this great big thing. And then I'm not sure exactly what happened. So that was your Elizabethan stuff. I remember when I first met you over a decade ago at a historical novel society conference. I, I know, I know, it was a long time ago. It was and great. We, I know we became great friends, but you had, I think that was after, was that Claude and Camille or was that marrying Mozart? Probably marrying Mozart because it was probably about, about 2008. I'm not sure. Yeah. It was I think before, around it then. Before, it was because 2006 Camille, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 2010. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a kind of a, a whole new adventure to publish that. I, I was, as I said, very unmoored. I'm, I'm sort of a, a, a nesting kind of person, and I'm, I don't think any of us do well in the publishing thing of it. But, but I, I think the, I, I think that that there still is a lot of historical fiction published, but <clears throat> I think there's there's two kinds. Well, uh, there's the very big books you know, 500, 600 pages about World War II and stuff that are, there are several talented authors who write in that, in that kind of way. And that still sells a lot. And then there is the other genre of the more literary historical fiction that is not necessarily about a huge plot subject or something where I, where I think I fall. And, and, that, and that, that group of people, I think, are having a harder time fitting into, into a market. Yeah. But anyway, what did you want me to talk about? I'm well, <laughs> I actually wanted to ask you if that was marrying Mozart. You you casually mentioned at the beginning that when you had when you stopped singing. So I want to hear a little bit about uh, and you, it's such a lovely story how that book came into being, and I wonder if you'd tell talk about it a little bit. Oh well, um, yeah, I was a classical singer for many years, and uh, I I loved Mozart. I sang a lot of Mozart. And I'm trying to remember. This is the story you want me to tell. I think it was. I think it was. Uh, and was it when my husband got sick? Was that the story you wanted me to? Well, I, I think. The story. I think it had to do with your husband, but also I think you know. You said you wrote it very fast. That book. I did. I did nine months, which is for you is not fast, but for me is fast. It's fast. <laughs> I'm speaking to a speed demon here. I'm speaking to someone who looks at a page and says, behold, it's full of words. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And, and yeah. And it was sort of a, sort of a love offering as I, as I recall. Well, I wrote it in, in the dedication is to Russell in a time of joy because my husband was quite ill uh, for a while. And uh, I was writing a, a, a very heavy, uh, serious book which I never did finish. I do want to finish it. I love it madly. And I, I wanted to write something uh, uh, light. And, and so I, I was sitting in a, one afternoon I took the day off from my, my day job and I was sitting in a, what we then called the Cafe Mozart uh, down in the 70s. It's beautiful. And, and having some, some Viennese coffee and stuff and they were playing a Mozart horn concerto and I had sort of conceived of um, doing a novel about Mozart, but a very serious one about his troubles and his poverty and et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly I thought about, uh, I remember that there had been a family of four sisters uh, who he met, four musical sisters in Mannheim. And he was kind of, kind of in love with all of them in a different way. 
and uh, he eventually married one of them. And uh, I didn't know what to call it. So my son, uh, my younger son, uh, was going to call it Mary to Mozart. He said, no, no, call it Marrying Mozart. So there we had the title. And, and my husband got better and, and I dedicated it to him. And it was just a, a very, the book was just pure joy. The reviews were, then you did get reviews or some people got reviews, but I got some major reviews and there's just, they were all very, very joyful. It was, it was incredible. It was just, I, I didn't remember it. Was that the story you wanted to tell? Was there another yes, one? Yes, yes. No, that was, that was it. And, and, oh, it's a lovely book. And it really, if you want, if I would, totally encourage anybody listening to this if you want a really feel good beautifully written historically wonderful accurate book to to devour i would totally recommend this book now, i know there's a i know there's a lot of new books coming out but you know in this time i don't know about you but i'm going back to a lot of my old favorites just because i it's like a comfort thing I think, yeah yeah i know? have my comfort my comfort books and that's even right in my to-do list you know 11 o'clock at night read a comfort book uh, <laughs> something that, that, I, that they know something not necessarily new something that I, I trust I mean it, it really found its way it, it became made into an opera it was it was option for a movie that didn't go through but most most options don't and what else did I want to say about it I got to know all these all these scholarly people who really liked the book and and I got invited to speak um at the International Mozart Conference, which was in, I think, Minneapolis that year. Minneapolis? Well, anywhere, somewhere down there. And I, I first, I said, you know, you're absolutely crazy. You don't want me. There's going to be people coming over from Salzburg, these great scholars. You don't want me. They said, yes, we want you. So they, they loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a totally terrifying moment in my life, seeing these people who come up from Salzburg sitting in the back with their arms crossed. It was, and then they were laughing, so... <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, I mean, I think that having been in the academic world myself and knowing how cutthroat it is and how nasty people can be, <laughs> but it, as soon as it's fiction and, and fiction that's well-written and that they can enjoy, it, it becomes a whole different thing, you know. It was a whole because, different thing, yeah. Yeah, and they, they can't necessarily write fiction that way, you know, a lot of them couldn't translate to that, so... So I think there's at least a guarded respect for us historical novelists. <laughs> but, and then, you know, it seems like art, the arts, music, whatever, have inspired you a lot because first was the, the plays of Shakespeare and then Mozart and then Claude and Camille, which I just adored that book. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Sure. Well, so after I did Marrying Mozart, my editor and agent at the time said, do something else and a figure in the arts. And I had, my, my parents were artists. And some years before there had been a totally gorgeous exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum called The Origins of Impressionism. And it was, it was a display of, of the art that all the young impressionists did in the, in the 1860s when, when they were all poor and unknown and struggling and absolutely so beautiful. And the thing that, that most struck me was the friendship between them. They would sleep in each other's floors, sleep with each other's models, I mean, share food. There's a letter from one of them, uh, one of them to, to the painter Renoir, who was staying in the other one's house and said, listen, if you're broke there, you know, look in the top drawer of so and you'll find my watch, just pawn it. 
I mean, it was that, <laughs> that kind of relationship. And I, I thought about it, so it came back to me and I worked on it, but it took a long time, it took five years to find the right shape. And I think my agent was ready to pull her hair out and uh, <laughs> I was willing to pull my hair out, but, but I finally got it, you know, so. Uh, yeah, was, oh, you sure did. You sure did. <laughs> so what is your writing day like? What's your process like? How do you approach a new project or, you know? Any project, they, they go on so long. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, my, 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 well, for years I had a day job. And, and uh, I would get up at six in the morning or something. I had tremendous strength. I don't know how I did it. Six, six thirty. Also, also a very indulgent day job because I got in late every day. And I would write furiously, and then I, I, I throw on whatever clothes were at hand and jump on the subway and get to work. So I still have the habit of I no longer have a day job, fortunately. And so I, I just get up more slowly, email a few friends, uh, make coffee. And open up the manuscript and, and sit there for three to five hours, depending on how I feel that day, where I am that day. And this goes on for years until I finish something which is publishable so, in thoughts. So what are you looking for when, when you're, you know, you're working on these things for so long? And, and I know a lot of writers do, and I do. I mean, you know, I have a manuscript that I've been working on for a few years, <laughs> and and I know how, what I look for when I sit down and look at it again and think, is this working? What are you looking for in your own writing that makes you feel like, yes, this is going well, or, or no, it's not there yet? Well, I think I, I generally get ex- attracted to a historical figure, a period, and I have to, to figure out what I want to say about them because, of course, you, I don't do this birth to um, cradle to death thing. So I have to figure out what is the one, what is the period of their life I want to write about, what is the thing uh, that they're trying to achieve in, 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 in the book, just as if it was an, a normal novel. And as the novelist Karen Essex said once, historical lives don't necessarily come with plots. Mm. And so you have to you have to put in a plot. So I'm always as I sometimes I don't know the plot when I start. I read about Monet, 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 and I, I I really didn't really know where I was going with it. And then when I finally figured out, it finally sort of came to me after many many drafts, the, the dim view of where I was going. <laughs> it then it started to shape. And Mary Mott said it was easy, of course, from the beginning, because you, I had the the plot theme and plot line in in the title. You know, there were four young, lovely musical sisters and a, a, a very poor, struggling, uh, brilliantly talented young man called Mozart and um, his father who didn't want him to marry anyone and their mother who wanted her daughters to only marry someone rich. Yeah. So, so there, there, there was easy to figure out the plot of that. Well, built-in built in stakes, right? Built-in yeah, built stakes. Yeah. Built-in kind of obstacles. <laughs> And that's not always true, as you say, in historical fiction. It can be hard to find those things that you need yeah. in order to make a satisfying arc in your, in your story. So, so once you've figured out where your story is and you're working on it and you're refining it, then what are you looking for? Well, I think, as I always say, I think writing a historical novel is a or any novel, particularly historical, is very difficult. 
because it's if you're making a great big movie and but you you're the you write the script you're the actors you're the lighting person you're the costume designer you're everything because everything you don't have a huge beautiful set with famous actors and you know um music in the background everything has to come through you to be created a, a whole other period of time we created uh, in in the um reader's mind so i guess i'm looking to refine this and and also as you're going along you know you have to you have to do it you're you're covering a period you're you're putting your your reader in a period that's probably not familiar to them you also at the same time you have to deepen your characters at the same time you have to have a plot line going on and plot is the last thing i ever think about i have to kind of put it in at the end <laughs> it's terrible you know oh i forgot the plot yeah so you have to make all those things come together and not have too much description and not have too little description and it's just this tremendous balance and then you're researching all the time and you're finding out all sorts of of interesting interesting things about these people where they went what they did one line in a, in a history book can can make all the difference when I was writing Claude and Camille I knew a reasonable amount about it was like to be the young struggling Claude Monet being thrown out of his apartments in the snow and you know without his clothes he had a very dramatic life that time but I didn't know about his his great love because there's very little little preserved about her uh, no journals very few letters so I had to to kind of create who she was and I I I found that there had been some some diaries uh, found I don't know within the last 3 decades or something in which somebody who had known them said that she she was she loved to act she was a very clever actress and that was that gave me a whole side of her character which had developed into uh, her desire to go on the stage so it was a combination and of course then it combines with my real life Camille combined with particularly with two people i knew in my early 20s with with very wonderful personalities and they she they they kind of melded into her so yeah i mean you raised <laughs> something really interesting and important there i mean when we're trying to recreate these characters and make them relatable to a modern reader we often have to look into you know our own experiences too yeah. as well as just what we read in history books like how because you have to make their feelings come to life for the reader yeah yeah so yeah so that's really interesting yeah well are can you say anything at all about your current work in progress well i guess i guess it's just about ready to go to my agent i i certainly can it's 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 another another book about about monet in this in this one he's in the 70s and 80s and he's painting the his famous watercolor paintings the which were very difficult for him because he was could hardly see he had such bad cataracts he had rheumatism he had, as as the as these as the 12 years in which he did these famous famous paintings progressed he got more and more challenged in his health and he could have done none of this without the absolute devotion of his stepdaughter blanche who was was a painter herself not a great painter but a lovely painter and she her her marriage her marriage was over for complicated reasons and she came back to live with him in giverny 
and you know painted with him and then eventually he he started these big water lily paintings and he she got more and more in, involved in in staying with him and helping with him and she had many other things she wanted to do with her life and you know love and work and and things and and she was subsumed into this 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 wonderful wonderful thing that was going on so it's it's really it's it's yeah it's uh like all books it's a bit of a challenge yes i can't wait to read it actually <laughs> i cannot wait actually but also actually but i'm also curious and i'll figure that out when i read it eventually i'm sure but is it is it her story or his it's her story it's all her point of view but she's she's telling his story but as she experiences it you know what is it like i mean to to be the person who's helping make this incredible thing happen what is this um always the person i mean many um great composers and, and and artists have had somebody behind them to to help them forward when they're discouraged and 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 so it it it, it it's her story watching him and the and the great love that he actually fell in love with with her mother when she was 14 and her mother had six children and they all moved in with him and they had very difficult times and very strong conflicts about the father and so it was it was a, and uh, he just adored them he was a loving 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 man he just adored children and adored his children adored his grandchildren very very different man than we generally think of as 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 monet the the, the personal side of him mm-hmm. was a uh, kind of amazing but yeah. uh, but I must say, I mean, it's a little bit. It's a little bit. I'm a little scared in a way because, well, lots of reasons to be scared. I'm always scared. <laughs> but uh, this is the first time that, yeah, I mean, this is the first time in 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 my books when I have not written of love between two young, beautiful people. You know, yeah. two people in their twenties. You know, and just and she is just beautiful, and he can't wait to have her. Or he is gorgeous, and in this case, Belle Blanche has has love love stories in it. The main story is of a daughter in her late 40s who who comes home to stay ostensibly for a few months until she figures things out and ends up being wound in this for her life so i'm really happy to hear that because i mean i'm as you know i I'm, i'm quite happy to write about young attractive couples and stuff like that too but i really think that older people older historical figures are underrepresented in historical fiction probably for some good reasons but i i think that i think it's a huge challenge and i i really applaud you for taking it on because you have to let go of some of the tropes and and look for other things you know and so i i really i can't wait to read this book it's no um, oh, thank you well i don't and my, my agent is excited about it i don't think he or I haven't told him he doesn't realize I don't know why I think here I am far far older than 49 or 48 or however old she was when the book begins but I really do I'm conscious of writing about an older person with daughterly feelings and sexual interests in other men and 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 uh, I've never written I don't know this is not a young romantic hair flowing uh mm-hmm. Girl, this is a woman who's been very hurt, and I don't know. You know, I just don't know. I mean, this is very different. Yeah, I think I'm sure you're. I'm sure you've done a terrific job of painting her in in all her layers and complexity, because that's something you do really well. So, yeah, is there anything else? Anything you want to talk about? 
Well, I think that, of course, I, I, my writing career, I think most of our writing's careers, if I, hasn't gone exactly as I would have liked it to go. You know, I thought I would be with one publisher. I would do a book every two years. I'd eventually make enough money to leave my job and haha, <laughs> that's a, a fantasy I find for, for, for it's, it's a fantasy for most people. It really doesn't happen economically to, to most people, even some very famous writers. So, and, and I thought I would go steadily forward instead of the bumps I've had. So I think I'm once again, particularly, you know, being a lot alone in, in COVID, reevaluating what, what writing is to me and what I am to it. And, um, thinking more and more, you know, I used to think, well, if I could write a little bit more like this one, or I could a little bit more like that one, or, you know, maybe I should do this, maybe do that. And that was absolutely, though I can learn from other people. I mean, I have to be myself. I have my own unique voice and I'm going to make it as good a book as I can make it. And then we'll see what happens to it out there. You just, you just don't know. You can't, at least I'm not the sort of writer who can say, oh, World War II is hot. Therefore, I'm going to do World War II. That doesn't work for me. It's got to be. It's got to be something deep, deep, deep inside me. So I, I don't have that that particular gift. I think I've had a chance to sort of thought of think about, you know, all of our gifts are imperfect, and what particular kind of gift do I have, and what do I particularly have to say? So it's it's really. I mean, it's been a time of reflection. Have you found that this has been a time of reflection for you? Oh, it really has. I know I decided at one point, you, you know, I've had not exactly the same, but similar experiences to you, perhaps even more extreme <laughs> downs as opposed to ups. But there was a point at which I suddenly realized that I can control nothing about this whole business, about the world, about who's going to buy my book or, or who's not and all of that. The only thing I can control is my own writing. And so therefore, it, there was a point at which I just said, I'm just going to try to be the best writer I can be and to tell the stories that I want to tell. Because even if I, if I try to tell the stories that, that supposedly other people want to hear, that could change in a heartbeat too. And, and the other thing is that, that, you know, I did try that a few times. I, had, I was under pressure to to sort of write, write, write this kind of thing, write that. And, and I, I never succeeded. I, I would start and then just completely lose interest after about 10% of the novel was written, you know? Because I have to be passionate about what I'm writing in order to sustain the incredible effort it takes to produce mm. a book. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I've, also, I've also really... I suppose, you know, when you're just starting out, it was my second career, so I was, you know, did it not when I was terribly young. When you're, you, you, you decide what success is for you when it keeps changing. And, and I suppose I had the ideal of this person who published books every two years and, and eventually made a living and, and just sort of grew and grew and grew. And, grew. and, and I, I see now that I've known many writers for, 10, 15, 20 years, I see how things go up and down. And it's not all you're in control. It just happens to be, I don't know, uh, you just have to do the best you can. I mean, I think 
I think exterior success is, I mean, I've loved what I've had. It's been so great, but it's not me. I mean, me is a lot of things besides that. Because if you say that's just me, and I will be the person I, I've always wanted to be when I sing Mimi at the Met or I, uh, I'm on the top of the bestseller list, and then I will have, because that's, that comes in there, generally doesn't come, and, and it goes. And, and I think it's just important to do the best work you can. And, and we'd all like to have our books in the window of Barnes & Noble, as I saw your book in the windows of Barnes & Noble once several years ago. I said, ah, I know that woman, uh, you know? And it was, you know, I guess we'd all like to have that affirmation from the world that we are, we are in that corner and nobody else is in that corner of that window. That's us, you know, and there's just something about that. But I think if you get too hooked into that, then at least for me, you know, you want your main ambition becomes to have that book in the window of Barnes and Noble again and not the process of the daily sometimes gruesome the process of, 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 of actually figuring out what's wrong with this paragraph mm, yeah. or that's not how he would react in that situation because mm -hmm. you are balancing the character in a way that you don't want to balance it. So that's where your energy has to go. And it's really kind of monastic in a way. So in, in, in some sense, what's really interesting to me is this isolation we've all been forced into because of COVID for writers is is shouldn't be a bad thing and yet i have found the writers i know just desperate to reach out to other people to have that contact and and honestly that's one of the reasons i started doing this podcast because i'm glad we did it <laughs> no because i really wanted you know to to talk to talk about writing with other writers and talk about the publishing world and historical fiction and all that kind of thing so 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 it is kind of this weird contradiction in terms. It's all of us introverted writers are finding the isolation sometimes a little bit hard. I am. I mean, I, I am. Well, I must say one good thing about it is that there are a, a group of writers who I've known since, I, since my Madeline Lingle days when I studied with her. And we've always tried to meet, but we're in different parts of the country. So if we managed to meet for three hours, you know, every two years, it was a miracle. And now we have a Zoom meeting every Wednesday afternoon, and we're going to keep that up because it doesn't matter that one's in Seattle and one's in Florida and things like that, because there we are. So that is something that we will probably keep up because we know we have this treasure and, and the distance doesn't, doesn't the, the group, you know, scattered. So they're all in New York originally, and then they scattered. So that's one good thing. But... I miss, I miss going to things to see. I miss the subway journeys to, I went to a subway journey to, I forget where it was, a story or something, to see Nancy, Nancy Billio, I think she was. Yeah, Nancy Billio, yeah. Billio, and in, in her, her new book that, that came out, the one about Coney Island. Dreamland, um, Dreamland. Dreamland. It's I really me. enjoyed that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so she had this lovely book reading, book signing, and there was wine, and I talked to people later, and then we went out to dinner, and we and it was a kind of a nice night, I think, as I remember. And we went up the elevator train. And it was the whole experience of being out in a, in a restaurant, you know, trading stories and, and why we were there and how we knew her and being just proud as anything of her. And 
that's one of the the writerly things that I that I physically did. I mean, now people like Nancy or Nancy, I don't even know. I mean, I can't keep up with people anymore. Are are doing things on Zoom, so you can go to book parties on Zoom. But it's not the same. Mm. It's really not the same. And and I think at, at, in person, people are more likely to buy books because you're there and you feel this sense of awkwardness if you don't get a copy of the book, a hardcover or a paperback, whatever it is, and bring it up to be signed. It's kind of a ritual. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, well, Stephanie, this has been such a lovely conversation. It is so great to Thank you so much. up with you again. <laughs> yes, yeah. And uh, I should say that Stephanie is Stephanie Cowell. I will put a link to to places where you can get her books because they are wonderful if you're not familiar with them. And and let's all watch for this new book coming out, which I'm sure will be as fabulous as the others. And you can find out more about me at Suzanne S U S A N N E hyphen. D-U-N-L-A-P.com. That's where you find out about my books. And there's a website for this podcast that is itsjusthistorical.com. So thank you again, Stephanie. And I can't wait till the next time we speak. <laughs>